Well, please turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Two weeks ago, I began a series entitled The Spiritually Sound Church from Titus chapter 2. And one of my main themes, or one of the main themes from the book of Titus is the effect that truth has upon life. How doctrine affects one's life. Doctrine and life, doctrine and practice are inextricably linked together. Error, heterodoxy, false teaching, unsound doctrine has an effect upon how a person lives. But in the same way, truth, orthodoxy, sound biblical doctrine has an effect on how a person lives. And so as I've been saying, it's critically important to connect the dots between truth and life, doctrine and practice. When a person comes to Jesus Christ, understanding who Jesus is, what he has done to save sinners, when a person places his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, resting in Christ, resting in the grace of God for their salvation, having been born again, there is change. It is not change that finds its origin in us, but it finds its origin in God and in the working of God's word in the heart of a believer. Because truth is transformative. The gospel is transformative. And therefore it bears repeating again this morning that truth is not meant only to be believed, but to be lived. Truth is not only meant to be confessed, but applied. Sound doctrine is not simply to be contained within creeds, but fully functioning within churches and in the lives of believers. And if truth is not lived out, then there is duplicity. We are hypocritical. We do not beautify the gospel that we claim to believe if we do not live in light of that glorious gospel. And neither will we be a sound church, a spiritually sound church. So you see, it is necessary for the church to have sound doctrine, but also sound living. Now that is what we see in Titus chapter 2. These are things that you find in a spiritually sound church. You'll find godly leaders who speak things fitting and consistent with sound doctrine. You find Leaders and pastors who then proclaim that with all authority, not because they have authority, but because the word of God is authoritative. You see that in Titus 2, verse 1 and verse 15. You'll find godly older men in verse 2. You'll find godly older women in verse 3 who live out the gospel. You'll find godly younger women in verses 4 and 5 and godly younger men in verses 6 through 8. So follow along as I read again this morning. Chapter 2, the whole of the chapter, and pay attention to how doctrine and life are intertwined, woven together, and inextricably bound together. Titus chapter 2. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is above repro- beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the gospel of God our Savior in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, 
bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now last week we considered verse 1 and briefly alluded to verse 15. If a church is to be spiritually sound, then we saw the necessity of spiritually sound pastors. A spiritually sound and healthy church has pastors who live out sound doctrine and exhort others to do the same. Titus himself is addressed by the Apostle Paul in verse 1, verses 7 and 8 as one among the category of young men, and again in verse 15. And this is where the health of a church begins, with its leaders, with its pastors. And this is why the first thing mentioned in this letter in chapter 1, verse 5, is appointing qualified elders, pastors who know the truth, proclaim the truth, and whose lives are shaped by the truth. And so last week, we considered the necessity of spiritually sound pastors. We considered the pastor's life. Paul says, but you, Timothy, in contrast to those in chapter 1, verse 16, who profess to know God, but their deeds denied him, being detestable and disobedient. No, his life was to be different. And then he was to proclaim things. We saw the pastor's proclamation. He was to proclaim those things fitting for sound doctrine, consistent with sound doctrine, not just the content, but then a way of living in light of the gospel that was consistent with the gospel. And then we saw the pastor's authority when he preaches these things, sound doctrine, and those things fitting for sound doctrine. Then he does so in verse 15 with all authority. Now this morning we want to see the necessity not just of spiritually sound pastors, but also of spiritually sound believers in the church. The necessity of a spiritually sound congregation. Not only must the pastors believe and proclaim and live the truth, there must be a congregation whose lives are shaped by the truth, whose lives are also nourished by and transformed by the truth. There is no spiritually sound church without believers who believe and live the truth, who proclaim it with their lips, but live it and beautify it by their lives. And so I could say it this way, a spiritually sound and healthy church has pastors who live out sound doctrine and exhort others to do the same, but there's, there must be more than that. There must be godly believers who love the word, who long for the word of God, who hear what is proclaimed and then whose lives are shaped by it. Therefore, a spiritually sound and healthy church has men, older men and young men, who live out sound doctrine, and a spiritually sound church has women, older and young women, who live out sound doctrine. Now shortly I'll focus on verse 2 this morning, and the exhortation to older men to live in a way that's consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before I do that, I believe it would be beneficial to make some observations from verses 2 through 8, noting the categories, so to speak, that the Apostle Paul chooses to address, and to note the common character all are called to, while at the same time noting some differences in roles. So sometimes when you read a section of Scripture like this, it's good to just step back before you get into the details and just make some observations. And that's what I want to do. I think we learn a lot just from the categories of those who are spoken to, the common character we see among those addressed, while also noting some differences in roles. 
So let me first note some categories that we see in this passage. First, I think in light of what I've been teaching on at 9 o'clock, let me note this. Note that adults, not children, are addressed in this passage. When the apostle considered who to address in the church for the sake of its spiritual stability, its spiritual health and soundness, he did not address children. And in his other letters to the churches, when the Apostle Paul did address children directly, he exhorted them to be in right relationship to their parents. He exhorted them in relationship to them as children to their parents, not in relationship to the church and its elders. For example, in Colossians 3 verse 20, When children are addressed specifically by the Apostle Paul, it says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Or Ephesians chapter 6. Children, and you can recite this with me, I'm sure, children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. So when the Apostle Paul addresses children, it's not in relationship to the life of the church or submission to elders, but in that domestic context of being obedient to your parents, honoring your parents. And so you find that here as well. When Titus is addressing, or Paul is addressing to Titus, how to set in order what remains in in Crete, how to organize the church so that it's spiritually sound. He addresses men and women. And this is conspicuous. When children are mentioned in the letters to the churches, it is often as an illustration of what the church is not to be, for children are characterized by immaturity and a lack of discernment. They need to grow to maturity. Now, this is not to demean children. It's simply a reality of the nature of being a child. Now again, I'll talk more about this in my Sunday school series on children, church membership, and the ordinances. But it's just helpful to note here that in Paul's letter to Titus, when he spoke of a church needing to be set in order, grow to spiritual maturity, spiritually sound, children are not a part of the equation in Titus chapter 2. Men, older men and young men, women, older women and young women are addressed specifically. Consider another category. That category has to do with gender. Men, women. And so he speaks directly to men and directly to women. There was a time when what I'm about to say really didn't need to be said. It was recognized not just by Christians, but by unbelievers too. But may I remind us this morning and briefly proclaim that it's evident from natural revelation and revealed explicitly in the Bible that there are two genders, male and female. God created gender, male and female. God created two sexes, two genders, And contrary to the spirit of the age, the rush to gender neutrality, gender rebellion, gender elimination, the Bible clearly states in Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created male and female. It is his creation, his created order. It is not a product of evolution. It doesn't exist because of billions of years of evolution. It's not a product of culture. It's not a social construct. It's not a choice. Gender is is biological from birth, and it is a fact of God's created order, settled by God because He is the Creator. And to reject gender and gender roles as taught in the Bible is to reject God and His Word. And to reject God and His Word is not without serious consequences, including the wrath of Almighty God. 
God will never rescind or repeal, retract or revoke, cancel or change his created order. Sinful man may suppress the truth and unrighteousness. He may twist, distort male and female in their roles. Sinful man may try to eradicate gender. But nothing will ever change the fact that God has created male and female. God created it. And his creation is good. In fact, it's very good. In Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. In Genesis 1, verses 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, and 25, it states that what God created was good. However, after day 6, in the pinnacle of creation, namely the creation of man in his image, male and female in his image, the Bible says it was very good. The existence of male and female, those two genders, is created by God, and it is very good. It demonstrates the wisdom of God, and it demonstrates the goodness of God. So God created male and female. He created it as very good, and male and female are both created in the image of God. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, again, it says this, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Both created in the image of God. Both to have dominion over what God had created. Now, male and female are different. However, there's an important statement in these verses I just read about what is not different. Namely, male and female are both created in the image of God. They are both unique in God's creation of the heavens and the earth. They're both set apart above all of man's creation in this way. Both are made in the image of God. And the fact that both are created in the image of God means that they're equal in value and equal in dignity. There's no hint of superiority of one over the other or inferiority of one to the other. Now, there are differences. There are different roles and responsibilities. But that doesn't imply superiority and inferiority in any way. Those differences extend, they're biological. Those differences extend to marriage, and the home, to the church. There are different roles in those contexts. But both are made in the image of God. Now, understanding these things, it's just not as an aside, understanding these things, we see that God addresses both male and female, men and women, as created by God, and both are important and essential for a spiritually sound church. The Apostle Paul in Titus 2 doesn't just address pastors as if that's all that's necessary, for a spiritually sound church. He doesn't just address men as if that's all that's necessary for a spiritually sound church. He also addresses the women. All are necessary for a spiritually sound church. Both men and women, godly men and women, are necessary for the spiritual flourishing and spiritual maturity of the church. Both are to know the word and believe the truth. Both are called to live in light of that truth. Both saved men and women together in the body of Christ are to pursue this harmony of sound doctrine and sound living to the glory of God who has saved us all. So again, that's important. Now, it may not sound as radical today, but that would have been somewhat radical in the time in which that was written. And in certain periods of history and certain places in the world, that no, not just men to know the truth, but women to know the truth, and men and women together living the truth as God has designed in His church, that it might be spiritually sound. And so note the category of gender. He addresses 
male and female, men and women. Now the last category to note is related to age. The apostle addresses older men and older women and then young men and young women. Both older and younger believers, men and women, are important for the spiritual soundness and health of a church. Now, what was considered older and what was considered younger? Again, we're talking about adults here in the words that are used, the Greek words behind our English translations, not of children. But what was considered older and what was considered younger? Well, from what we know of the Greek words used here in this passage, how they're used in Scripture and in extra-biblical sources, it seems that someone would have been considered older around the age of 50. Possibly if someone was well into their 40s, but definitely around the age of 50. So now those of you who are in your 40s are feeling much better now, aren't you? You're not in the category of older. In fact, the last time I preached in Titus chapter 2 through these verses, when I preached through the book of Titus, I was a young man. Now I'm an older man. Now one of the reasons we understand younger to even mean someone in his 40s, at least in his early 40s, is because of what the Apostle Paul said on another occasion to young Timothy. You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul said, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, Timothy, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So, Timothy, when that was written in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, was in that category of a young man. And therefore, he was youthful. Now, what does that mean? Well, it speaks to, again, an an earlier period of life. And again, it's believed that Timothy was somewhere around the age of 40 when the Apostle Paul wrote that to him in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Timothy wasn't a new believer He was just a young man. And some had the tendency, evidently, to look down upon his youthfulness, being around the age of 40, while he was seeking to fulfill such a role in the church as shepherding the flock and preaching the word. And so Paul said to him, let no one look down on your youthfulness. The word look down means to despise or disparage. There may have been some who were wondering, What can we learn from a young man like Timothy? Why do we have to listen to him? They were looking down on his youthfulness. One commentator says this about 1 Timothy 4 verse 12. Despite the young man's inexperience, they needed to treat him like a Timothy and not a Timmy. Or could it be that Paul is simply exhorting Timothy not to give others the opportunity to look disparagingly at his youthfulness? In other words, don't let people malign you, Timothy. You're young, but don't act immature. Instead, be an example of godliness. And in this way, Timothy was to combat any deficiency that might seem to arise about his age, being around the age of 40. How was Timothy to respond to the tendency of some to think you're a young man, you're youthful? Was he to preach louder or hit the pulpit harder and demand respect? No, he was to show himself an example of godliness and this would win their hearts. This is how a young man gains the confidence and trust of the church. And so in that case, the the congregation needed to respect Timothy because of his office, but he could help with that. He could live in a way that would win the respect of the people. They wouldn't look down on Timothy if if they could look up to his character and see him live what he proclaimed. Now, here in Titus chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, the Apostle Paul addresses young men in a similar way. And in that category was Titus as well. He was in the category of a young man. And the lives of these young men were to be characterized by the same sensible character. Verse 6, 
as was be, to be the case with older men in verse 2. They too were to be dignified, verse 7, even as the older men were to be dignified in verse 2. The young men were to gain respect and aid the church spiritually by being an example of good deeds, we see in verse 7. So what Paul is saying when we consider this category of age is he separates it out and he speaks to the older men and the older women, but also the young men and the young women. The older and the younger saints should join together in living godly lives. And that would give stability to the church. That would make it sound. And that would make it a witness for the gospel in the world. And so it's important to note the age here and the distinction that's made. Have you ever heard of the generation gap? People talk about the generation gap. They say there's a gap between generations. And the term generation gap emphasizes the differences between generations, the, the older and the younger generations. They're just different for various reasons. There's a generation gap. And there are often observable differences between generations. Things were different in many ways in my generation than from the one after me. The world is different in many ways. Technology is different. And that has shaped a younger generation. But the most important things about us are not different. Listen, the gospel bridges the so-called generation gap. It doesn't matter what age you are, you're still a sinner in need of saving grace. We all have the same problem. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter your age. That is true of all of us. Our nature is the same. We're fallen. We're sinful. We're corrupt in every part of our being. And the same gospel addresses our common problem of sin. It is the same Savior, the Lord Jesus, who saves the young and the old. The remedy is the same. There is one way of salvation. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And our sanctification is the same. As Christians, whether young or old, the standard of God's holiness is the same. Be holy as I am holy. The standard of holiness isn't one level for some and one for another. No, no matter your age, sanctification is the same. We don't have one set of principles of sanctification for younger men and women and then another set of principles of sanctification for older men and women. And it's the same adversary. We face the same adversary, the same world trying to conform us to, it, to its image, the same fallen condition. We all face those same common things, no matter the age. And therefore, the gospel, what we see in this passage, bridges the supposed generation gap. Truth bridges the generation gap in the church. The gospel is the same for the young and the old. Sanctification is the same for the young and the old. And we are bound together in the one church for the same purposes, to the glory of our God in the proclamation of the gospel. So while there are differences, especially as it pertains to God's creation of gender and roles of male and female in the home and in the church, we see here in this passage also the unity and commonality that we have, especially as it pertains to godliness. This is why we see common godly character traits in this passage, no matter the gender or the age. For example, all categories are called to be sensible. In verse 2, older men are to be sensible. In verse 5, younger women are to be sensible, and they're to be taught what that looks like from the older women who, have, who can model it. Verse 6, the, the men, the young men are to be sensible. And in chapter 1, verse 8, that's a qualification for a pastor. That is common for us all. We're to be sensible. In verse 2, older men are to be temperate. We'll see what that means in a minute, but it means sober and sober-minded. And that's true of older women as well in verse 3, nor enslaved to much wine. Older men are to be dignified in verse 2. Well, older women are to be reverent in their behavior in verse 3. They're really synonymous, although different words are used. 
Older men are to be sound in love. Younger women are to love their husbands and their children. Older men are to be sound in faith. But Titus, in verse 7, is to be pure, have purity in doctrine. So while different words are used, we see the commonality of sanctification for us all. All who believed in Christ, male and female, young and older. And that's why verse 12 says that the grace of God instructs all of us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And that is what binds us together. We all are pursuing the same things as those who've been saved by the grace of God. So you see, youth is not a time to sow wild oats. It's a time to glorify Christ who saved you by grace. And old age is not a time to let up on that pursuit of holiness and somehow coast into heaven. No, older age is just as much a time to serve God and grow in holiness, minister to others, and contribute to the spiritual soundness of the church as any other time of life. This is true not just of age, but of gender as well. So brethren, just observing that, may it exhort us, may we all, young men, older men, young women, older women, male and female with one voice and one heart together glorify God. May we be unified in that purpose and pursuit to glorify God and to pursue holiness. For we have what Jude calls a common salvation. And so a spiritually sound and healthy church has pastors who live out sound doctrine and then exhort others to do the same. But it also has men, older men and young men who live out sound doctrine and older women and young women who live out sound doctrine. And together we form a sound church, loving sound doctrine and living sound doctrine. But now focus your attention on verse 2. So we go through this passage. Let's begin with the older men. And let's be exhorted and encouraged and spurred on to have spiritually sound lives. And so let's begin with the older men since this is what the apostle does. By the way, is it Significant that he addresses the older men first? Could it be that he addresses those who are older first? That they might lead the way? Well, what we know for sure is that older men are essential for the spiritual health of the church. And therefore, he says in verse 2, Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Now, let's look at the the word translated older men. Older men. As I said, this would have been thought of to be somewhere around the age of 50. It's translated, this particular Greek word, in Luke 1, verse 18 of Zacharias, and he called himself an old man. Paul used it of himself, and he called called himself in Philemon, verse 9, the aged, the aged one. Now, older men are a vital part of the spiritual health of the church. Old age is something that we tend to see as something to be dreaded or to avoided, as if it's not going to happen if you live long enough. (laughs) And in our culture, old age means retirement. The older person is at leisure, and sometimes the culture sees that as a time to kind of be put on the shelf, so to speak. And in our culture, the world sees old age as a liability. But that's not the way Scripture sees it. Scripture sees those who are advanced in age and godly as essential to the spiritual health of the church. Old age is honored in the Scriptures, not dishonored. Some see certain ages, usually youthfulness, as more beneficial to the health of the church. And some churches seek to appeal to the younger generation, leaving behind those with gray hair who walk a little slower and whose bodies are growing a little weaker. 
But while the older generation might be losing some of their physical vitality and health, their lives are critical for the spiritual vitality and health of the church. Again, we have to combat this because in our culture, there's a tendency to treat age with disdain. Someone who is older in our culture is not worthy of the same respect. And this has crept into the church. Many tend to think that the church needs to be led by young people. But the younger generation should learn from the generation that's gone before. There's a need for older men and older women in the church who can say, I've walked that road. And by the grace of God, He has kept me and I have grown in holiness. Follow my example. As it says in Psalm 145 verse 4, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. In a spiritually healthy church is a church with those who are older, who are living out sound doctrine, who are praising His works to the younger generation, who are declaring the mighty acts of God to a younger generation. Proverbs 20, verse 29 says this, The glory of young men is their strength, and the glory of, an old, of old men is their gray hair. Or Proverbs 16, verse 31, A gray head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. A gray hair and gray beard doesn't necessarily mean righteousness, but for those who've been saved by the grace of God as they've aged, and now they're at that point that they're showing their age and their gray beards and gray heads, and, and they've walked with Christ during that time, that's a crown of glory. And those who have walked with Christ through those years should be an essential part of the church. One commentator said this, the elderly are not a bane, but a boon. Now, I had to look up the word bane and boon. Bane means a curse or an annoyance. And a boon is a thing that is a blessing. In other words, the elderly are not a curse. They're not an annoyance. They're just not, we'll just wait. They're not going to be with us much longer. Let's put up with them while we have to. No, they're a boon. They're to be beneficial and a blessing. And the commentator goes on to say, today we worship young, firm bodies instead of honoring gray heads of wisdom found in the way of righteousness. And that's true. That's a common way of thinking. We worship youthfulness. But in the church of Jesus Christ, we need old saints. We need those who have walked with Christ for a period of time. Older men are essential for a sound church. Leviticus 19 verse 32 says, You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged. And so an older generation is necessary in the church. I think today more than ever. Their wisdom should be coveted. Their discernment should be desired. Their insight should be sought. And so a spiritually healthy church has godly older men, godly older women. But notice I'm saying godly. Again, age does not necessarily equal wisdom and godliness. Older men, what we need to be doing is making sure we're walking with Christ so that we might be examples to those who come behind us and we might contribute to the soundness of the church by living out the gospel ourselves. And what does that look like? Well, Titus 2 verse 2 tells us what it looks like. Older men are to be temperate. Temperate. Or the English Standard Version translates it sober-minded. That should sound familiar. When I preach a call for men to be godly, one of my sermons was entitled Sober and Sober-Minded Men. And much of that came from this particular word, where men are called to be temperate, sober-minded. Literally, it means holding no wine. It's the idea that the person isn't ruled by wine. They're, they're clear-headed. They're clear-thinking. We're to be sober in spirit, 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Sometimes it's translated that way. We're to be have a sober spirit. 
And so as a man grows older, he should be marked by temperance and self-control. Not less temperate and less self-control. He may have less responsibilities. His children may be out of the home. He may have less work responsibilities at a particular point in his life. But nonetheless, his life is disciplined, self-controlled. He's sober-minded. The older man may have less time, humanly speaking. So he has to be careful to, with how he uses his time. Men, remember when I stirred you up to be spiritual men who are industrious? Well, that doesn't lessen as we grow older. No, every day to the last breath is to be used for spiritual industry. And so we're to be older men who are characterized by this moderation, self-control, and temperance, this clear-headedness. As I spoke of in those sermons, a, a spiritual and mental acuity. Our faculties, our minds must be alert. This is what a godly older man looks like. But not only temperate, but also dignified. Dignified. The word here means honorable, of good character, worthy of respect. Is translated honorable in Philippians 4, verse 8. The things that we are to think on were things that are honorable. That's the same word that's used here. The deacons are to be men of dignity, 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. And so the older man's life should have a sense of reverence that brings the respect of others. And again, he's walked with Christ. And as he gets older, he's not getting more careless with his walk, but even more careful to live to the glory of God. And it, it's dignified and brings the respect of others. And then Paul writes, sensible. Sensible. The older man is to be right thinking. Again, this word has to do with one's thinking, his mind. Literally, it means to be in one's right mind. But it's more often used of the idea of having a sound mind. He's prudent. He's reasonable. And one form of the word, same root word, is used in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 and translated discipline. So again, it's a sensible, temperate life, self-controlled that's marked by discipline. But again, this in elders in Titus for every category in Titus 2. And it's used of pastors and elders in Titus 1 verse 8. In fact, it's the word used in Titus 2.12 that the grace of God instructs us to live sensibly. Our lives are to be marked by this. And godly older men are to lead the way. And then he gives this trio, you might call it. Sound in faith, understood sound in love, sound in perseverance. Means they're to be steady, they're to be mature, healthy in faith, love, and perseverance. He's to be a picture of spiritual health in three areas. His body might be declining, but not his spiritual vitality. Again, he may not be sound physically as he once was, but he's sound in faith, he's sound in love. The older man is to be sound in perseverance. And he begins with sound in faith. Now here, not just sound in the faith, again, First, you have to be sound in the content of sound doctrine. But here the idea is not just sound in the faith, but sound in faith. He's speaking of faith in and toward God. This older man has seen the work of God. He's witnessed God's power through the years. He's experienced God's faithfulness. Therefore, he's strong in faith. He's strong in trust in God. In Psalm 37, verse 25, the psalmist says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. You see, he's sound in faith because he's seen the hand of God. The older man can say, Psalm 71, verse 5, For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my confidence from my youth. And then Psalm 71, verse 17. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth. I still declare your wondrous deeds. So here's a man who's sound in faith. He, he trusts in God because 
He can look back over his life now as an older man and years of walking with Christ and say, oh, great is thy faithfulness. I've seen the power of God, the wisdom of God, the working out of God's word in my life. I've shared with you before something I, I don't know who first said it, but I got it from a seminary professor when he said the problem with experience is that you get it just after you needed it. But older men have experience. And that experience in the Christian life leads to faith in God. But he's also sound in love. Older men are to have holy affections and holy desires. His loves have been shaped by the gospel and the truth of God's word. And through the years of walking with Christ, the older man has grown more and more in his love for God. It's deepening. The roots are going deeper and deeper. His love for others is growing deeper and deeper. He's contemplated God's love for him for for many years. And therefore, he is sound in love. He understands the love of God for him. And then that translates into how he lives in his love for God. Therefore, he's an example of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. But the older man then is to be sound in perseverance. As he's walked this Christian life, an older man can look back and say, God has used all these things to to grant me perseverance and strength, and, and I've endured by His grace. And therefore, older men should learn from that and say, Oh, I've learned not to lose heart. I've gone through many trials. My faith has been tested. But I've endured by the grace of God, keeping my eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. You see, an older man, his body may not be a picture of health. His physical endurance may be waning, but his spiritual health is strong. His spiritual perseverance and endurance is strong. And godly older men can then exhort the congregation when hard times come. Persevere in the faith. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The older saints and the older men in the congregation can then say, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. This is true. God's word is true. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is a picture of a a godly older man in the church. It's necessary for it to be spiritually sound. Oh men, we need godly older men. We need to be like the Apostle Paul in his old age. I mean, down to the very last days or weeks of his life, he writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, when you come, bring the cloak, which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, and especially the parchments. The books maybe were papyrus scrolls, Old Testament books. The parchments were expensive sheets made from a specially treated animal hide probably for writing letters and he still has on his mind to write to the churches down to the last days and weeks of his life the apostle Paul is useful to the church of God strengthening the church of God it's kind of like hiking to a summit as you hike to the summit it gets more difficult. Often the terrain gets tougher. And if you've been on certain hikes, it might start easy, but then it gets a little tougher and tougher and you're getting close to the peak. And as you get close to the peak, you don't want to give up. You want to get there. You want to get to the peak so you can look out at the view that all that labor was for. You want to persevere to the very end. The Christian life is like that. Men, older men, as we get older and older and we age and we're closer to heaven, And closer to our last days on earth, we don't want to retreat. We don't want to stop. We want to continue to pursue holiness. We want to reach that pinnacle. The closer we get to the summit, so to speak, the more we should be careful to press on, not be careless, but to make it 
to the end. So older men, be careful. You've come this far. Now is not a time for intemperance and being undisciplined. Older men, now's not the time to throw off self-control. Now's the time to be careful how we walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of our time. Now, older men, is not a time to waste, but a time for our spiritual flames to, to grow even greater. Psalm 92 Verses 12 to 14 says this, The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. Listen, they will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. See, the picture is, here's one, a righteous man who he's rooted like these mighty trees, firm, sound in perseverance. And even in old age, those trees are very fruitful. This is how a man should be as he grows older. Not a hindrance to the spiritual stability and soundness of the church, but a firm rock for the church. Psalm 71 verse 18 says, And even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. This, should what, this is what should be growing as you grow older. Oh, don't forsake me, God. Help me to persevere. I want to declare your strength to the generation that comes behind me. Older men are essential to the spiritual soundness of a church. So older men, let us, by the grace of God, be what God has called us to be here. Temperate, dignified, sensible, Sound in faith, sound in love, sound in perseverance. So that then, the generation that comes after, we can say to them, here is the way, walk in it. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the the wisdom of your word, and again, the sufficiency of your word that addresses so many things, everything from gender and age, how your church is to be spiritually sound even to the end of the age until you return. Father, I pray for those of us who are older men. Lord, may we be characterized by these things by your grace. May we be growing in these things. As we grow older, as the outer man decays, may the inner man be strengthened more and more day by day. God, I pray you would use the older men in this congregation to be a strength to all, to be a solid rock Lord, to be able to declare your praises to the younger generation and to be examples to the whole flock. And in this way, we pray that we at Grace Fellowship Church would be spiritually sound and all for the sake of adorning the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.